Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel overchurched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Oh, dear church, uh, I am so happy to see you. Um, welcome. My name is Erin James Brown. I currently serve as the interim site pastor here at Urban Village Church Edgewater, where you have found yourself this morning. Um, church is such an interesting thing, and we do it together. It's not just one person, but it does. Uh, we, making church happen on a Sunday morning is all of us showing up, but all of us working together to make it a reality. And sometimes as the leader of the church, uh, I, um, a little bit more refalls to me. That, that makes sense, right? But uh, uh, my colleague in ministry at our Hyde Park, Edge, Hyde Park Woodlawn site um, is on a great sabbatical. I live in that neighborhood. Um, and my responsibility for her site when she is gone is to take them their bulletins. This morning, I either had pregnancy brain or was rocking out to Lizzo way too hard, but I forgot to take them their bulletins until I had gotten from my neighborhood to Montrose Boulevard, and I quickly whipped my car around, and I will not tell you how quickly I made it back to Hyde Park Woodlawn, um, and gave them their bulletins, and then whipped back around and came back up here, but that meant I left a lot of our leaders, uh, our worship team, and greeters, and AV team, and um taking up and picking up so maybe you didn't even notice that there was a difference this morning but i just want to give a shout out to lots of leaders who made this morning happen um did it without anxiety uh knowing and trusting that god was going to show up to this morning but if you didn't get a bulletin because i was bringing those very quickly down lakeshore drive uh, we have several extras you're going to need them for our opening practice so throughout, uh, for a month at a time, we're trying to open our sermon time with a spiritual practice. Does anybody need a bulletin? We've got some. Nick's got some. Kelly's got some. We'll bring it around to you if you'll raise your hand. Um, we're opening with a spiritual practice to help us feel centered and grounded in God before we hear from God, what God is uh, going to say to us this morning. And so this morning, we're doing a spiritual practice called a labyrinth. Labyrinths are so ancient um, that we don't know who started it. Labyrinth, you'll find the labyrinth folded on a tiny piece of paper inside your bulletin. And these labyrinths, uh, we don't know who, who is the originator. We cannot credit them, unfortunately. Um, but because so many world religions have found them to be significant in their lives, we uh, continue to practice them and seek out the significance of them. It is about kind of like a pilgrimage. There is not, it's not a race, it's not a maze, or there's no goal to it. It is about journeying with God through this labyrinth 
trying to experience the presence of God in that place. And so we're going to begin a meditative journey together. It's going to take about two minutes. Maybe that sounds like a very long time to you. Maybe that sounds like a very short time to you. You will be fine. Uh, God will go with you. Um, we're going to move slowly through this labyrinth. And how it works is uh, you see it kind of looks like a maze. Uh, you start at the entry point where it looks like the entry, entrance of the maze, and then there's a center point it's going to take you to, the resting spot where God's presence resides. And so you start at the entry point, breathing some deep breaths, breathing out as you travel up. And whenever you reach a little curve, tracing along with your finger, you take in a deep breath, breathing in the presence of God. And then you breathe out and follow along. You come to the curve again, rest your finger, take a deep breath in, and continue following along. In and out, following along. And if you move quickly, because you're breathing quickly this morning, and you make it to the center in those two minutes, you just take time to rest in God's presence in the center of that center labyrinth. And then as, as you feel led, you can start moving your finger back out, tracing back out with your breath. There is no goal except to be present with God as you move along the labyrinth. So we're going to start. I'm going to set the timer for two minutes, and then you, I will guide you out no matter where you are in your labyrinth uh, with a, prayer, a closing prayer. So center yourself. Maybe relax your shoulders. Unfurrow your brow. Relax your stomach, where we tend to carry a lot of our anxiety. Find that entry point on the labyrinth. Take a deep breath in and begin moving your finger as you breathe out. As we close out our two minutes, 
wherever you are in your labyrinth. Find a space of rest and let us pray. God, you go with us on the journey, offering us breath in the times when we don't know if we can breathe and continue moving forward. And so we rely on you to sustain us, to go with us, to remind us that we are so beloved. And so we rest in your presence this morning, trusting that you are here. And so we pray in the name of our brother and friend, Jesus. Amen. You get to take that piece of paper home. There's more out at the front. But anyway, our sermon this morning comes from one of the early psalms. Many of those early psalms, like roughly the first 50, are often attributed to the King David. Scholars bicker and fight about who actually wrote them. Was it King David, who was supposed to be smart and quick and a committed follower to God? So it could have been him. Some scholars bicker and fight, perhaps saying uh, they believe the psalms were songs of worship and someone slapped the name of David as a title to give it more importance, to ensure that it made it into the final editions of the collection of songs called the psalms. And whatever you think, about the psalm, whoever might have composed it, whatever argument seems real to you or more plausible, what is clear is the desperation and the fear of whoever wrote this psalm. The need for courage in a dangerous moment and the celebration when God provides courage is a universal one, is one that resonates. This is a good psalm to study, no matter its origin, because it follows this rhythmic pattern of most psalms. These ancient songs are kind of cyclical. They follow, each one follows a pattern. As you read through the psalms, they kind of start to sound the same, not because it's boring, but because we need them like bombs over our hearts and minds. Just like our human life can be a little cyclical, there are moments of praise, moments of fear in our lives crying out to God, and moments when fear is relieved in our lives. So Psalm 27 begins with brave declarations. Did you hear them? The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold, meaning the refuge in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then about the middle-ish, it moves to a confession of trial and doubt like it was super bold in the beginning. And all of a sudden the, the psalmist cries, hear, O Lord, when I cry. Be gracious to me and answer me. And then it again, again ends with further praise of God's trustworthiness, saying, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and courage and wait for the Lord. It's like a mantra, like when I look in the mirror in the morning and have to say, you are bold and beautiful and fierce. Wait and take, be strong. Take courage. This is the stuff of our existence, the praise of God, the fear in times of stress, and the trust without evidence that God is moving still. This is the stuff of, uh, this is, if this is David's writing, he is constantly defending God's kingdom against enemies, uh, defending himself and God's kingdom against the enemies. King Saul, his mentor, 
he's defending himself against, the Philistines, pretty much all the surrounding nations, he is defending himself and his nation. And yet living with fear, fear for his life sometimes, he took courage that God would not abandon him. And if this is a general song of the people, it was probably written during the Babylonian captivity when the people of God were held in slavery in a strange land, not knowing if they would be able to return to their homes, not knowing if God would be present with them in this new place of forced servitude, and yet they trusted God would free them. It doesn't really matter who authored the beauty of these poetic words. I usually just refer to the author as the psalmist, a generalized author. I don't spend time arguing about who wrote it because for me there is something way more important for us to understand. This is the stuff of our existence, the praise of God, fear in times of doubt, and trust that God is with us. Right now, I have to tell you, my existence, aside from making the best buttons at EdgeFest, <laughs> right now my existence, and aside from reminding you all beautiful people that God dearly loves you and you are wonderfully and beautifully made, my existence is consumed with the help of our staff writing and editing a book that has taken us five years to write, uh, been through several editions and several writers and authors. This book will come out in 2020, and it's about the anxiety and how God shows up in the midst of anxiety. The book uses the uh, serenity prayer, which is one of my favorite prayers, to describe how the Christian heart can find peace in God when anxiety rages around us. And although, frankly, it's about mental health, uh, the pastors of, uh, although at UVC we frankly talk about mental health, the pastors of UVC talk about the transformative power of reading scripture, crying out in prayer, and actively working towards love, mercy, and justice to bring serenity. Um, it's hard. It's hard to write about anxiety. If you haven't heard the serenity prayer, I'll remind you, it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And my life is consumed, the existence of my life is consumed with editing this, that this week I was very intensely working on the chapter written on acceptance by our former pastor, Brittany Isaac, uh, the founder of this site and now the district superintendent of the United Methodist Church. It's the chapter she wrote, a lovely chapter about ex uh, acceptance. You should read it when it comes out. We don't get any of the royalties. But while Brittany, while I was reading and rereading Brittany's words, I couldn't stop obsessing with this line of the serenity prayer she was tasked with writing about. AKA, she was writing about the peace to accept things that are unchangeable. Accept with peace the things that are unchangeable. And uh, I'm kind of a spiteful irreverent, angry person sometimes, and this thought began to consume me. Why is peace needed when things seem like a hot dumpster fire and I can't change it? Is it just to restore me? Am I supposed to be blissed out on God's grace more and I would have acceptance for the things that are out of my control? Is it that? Well, heaven no, because I'm still angry. Because according to our psalmist, there are times when our enemies and frenemies are beating down the door with hate. And when the world breathes violence down our necks, when it seems like we have no place to hide but under the cover of God's tent. And so I started praying over this, this uh, passage of the serenity prayer, God, and I started mixing up the words, God, don't grant me serenity or peace. God, grant me courage to accept the things I cannot change. 
It is in times when things seem out of control, it takes someone with great courage to accept the things we cannot change. It takes great courage to go forward, not knowing what the future holds. It takes great courage of peace to trust that God goes with us when we feel like the world is spinning off its axis. It takes great courage to trust God, to depend on God, when we don't know if God is there. This is our final sermon series in our current series, The Faith on Stage, where we examine the ancient principles of our faith in the light of works of art, mainly musicals, that seek to reinforce biblical principles. And this week, this is why we had to cut the testimony, is because we're supposed to study The Wizard of Oz, but we're supposed to also include the retellings of the black ensemble version, The Wiz, and also questioning of those who define goodness in the musical Wicked. That's way too many stories to talk about on top of talking about the Psalms, on top of talking about everything else. But just to summarize for you, if you have forgotten what any of those stories were about, these three stories follow a young, plucky woman in search for belonging and discovering courage on the journey, and maybe a little bit of heart, and maybe a little brain, and maybe some friends. There's also a lion who lacks courage and somehow always finds that he has the courage but feels illegitimate when, when a charlatan, but only feels legitimate when a charlatan claiming to be a warlock gives him a certificate, when really it's his friends that remind him of his bravery in times of challenge. All three versions of the musical rely on the courage of the characters to go off and see this unknown wizard, courage to defy gravity and do something they don't understand or even think is weird and downright strange and dangerous. One could compare the writer David or the enslaved people of God to, with Dorothy, the desperate and desperately hopeful woman searching for the land of the living, her home. The psalmist and Dor Dorothy both find strength and courage in things unseen. A savior, they find strength and courage. And isn't that the Christian faith, really? Finding strength and courage in a savior, we cannot press our fingers into his scarred hands and his wounded side. Yes, our Christian faith requires us to accept that resurrection means we rely on the Holy Spirit to breathe like whisper of God and be blessed because we have not seen, and yet we believe. And that belief, that reliance on God of mystery who acts mysteriously, that requires some stamina. It requires some strong faith muscles and people of strong faith, doesn't it? I think that's why I couldn't let go of the serenity prayer this week. Why, upon further reflection, I was convinced it takes courage to depend on God when the world keeps warming when the United Methodist Church is divided on LGBTQ issues, when babies grow inside mothers and they, the mothers, she, rear, she re, knows relatively nothing about what's happening, about the baby's health or safety, let it alone its personality, whether it's going to be a mean person. <laughs> it isn't always, and isn't it always in the times when things seem like they aren't right, that we have to depend on God. Like that snarky person in me says, isn't it a cruel joke of God to make us dependent when there are so many question marks at the end of our life's wishes and need list? Why would you, God, give me a desire, a call to move to a new neighborhood or a new city or a new state when I, haven't, I don't have any friends there, I don't have a job ready and waiting for me there? I am dependent on you, God, to make this new place a sustainable home for me. Why would you, God, give me a heart drawn to a partner who ends up abusing me? I am dependent on you, God, to help me to find a safe place to stay because I don't know where to go. 
Why would you, God, give me a brain that misfires synapses and depressing thoughts? I am dependent on you, God, to help me find a therapist and medication that works because it is a full-time job just figuring out how to call the insurance company. Why would you, God, give me a body consumed by cancer and pain and the doctors don't know if the treatments will work? I'm dependent on you, God, for the next few years, the next day pain-free, the next breath. It is in these moments of life dependence on God when we find on our best days we have the courage with God's help to climb out of our pits of despair and move forward. We make the move. We leave the bad relationship. We take care of our mental health. We go back to the doctor. We take our meds. We rest when we need to. We keep breathing deeply because we are courageous because it takes a freaking strong courageous person to do the thing whatever the thing is without knowing if it'll work risking that we might be judged by others but fully depending that god will go with us it takes courage you are courageous it takes courage sometimes to fight and stay in the relationship of trust with god when it seems evidence points us to the contrary of god's trustworthiness in the moment and that's what the psalmist does demands even of God. When it seems like all is lost, the psalmist says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You who have been my help so many times in the past, do not cast me off now. Do not forsake me. You are the one I call, O God of my salvation. So do it again. We, like the psalmist, in times of dependence on God, do not, therefore, succumb to fear. We muster up that courage to follow God's path, however unknown, into the future. Dependence on God takes courage. Dependence on God also leads to true independence. Every time we allow ourselves to depend on God just a little, it's like turning a knob of a door to peek in, inside. And then the next time it's a little bit easier and we're still a little, a little more curious to open the door of dependence on God just a little bit wider. And every time we end up in a situation of unknown and unrest with an uncertain future, we gain this increasing courage so that one day we just throw open the door and say of dependence on God, fully relying on God's grace, only to learn that true dependence on God has led us to independence that was waiting for us on the other side. Because people who depend on God in times of trouble are freaking free, independent, courageous people. We know this is true because God tells us layered stories called parables over and over again about dependence leading to independence. He told stories about defenseless creatures like birds and small animals seeking shelter and those birds flying around searching for a new home, a place to make home, and the freedom finding it to build a nest and grow a family in this extremely large bush that just grew from this tiny little mustard seed that was planted by someone with hope. He told stories Jesus did about wasteful sons with no resources left, no place to rest their weary head, returning home to their family, the family they hurt because yet again they have to depend on their family to get them back on their feet, to simply serve the family in order to have a place to stay. And upon their humble return, these sons find a celebration waiting. Because their dependence on the love of family, it's in that that they find that they are truly free, independent and ready to receive the love that they deserve. 
And Jesus did this. He lived the example of this in his life. He traveled from town to town telling people that God's kingdom was coming. Jesus, with this busy schedule, I would imagine he did, his uh, bullet journal was full. And the demands on his healing powers did not allow time to work a steady job, to make money to pay for the hotels and the motels in which he and his disciples might rest. Jesus was dependent, therefore, on new disciples in these towns to provide hospitality and meals and cots and money to help him buy new sandals because the other ones had holes in them. Through this dependence on others and on God to provide generosity, through this dependence, Jesus was free and independent to share the good news to the whole world because people who are dependent on God in times of trouble are free, courageous, independent people. Yesterday, after I was packing up this button maker that is consuming my existence, this God bless its heart button maker, I walked around the festival. <laughs> every year I forget how it works, and every year I have to watch a YouTube video. I walked around the festival. It's so joyous. You have to go after this. We'll go together. It's a place filled with cover bands and puppies galore and free ice cream that this pregnant woman wants all the time. But I walked around this beautiful festival feeling helpless and dependent on God because I was worried about my home state of Texas. I was worried about my fellow Texas residents, the 20 people and 26 are injured by a domestic terrorist. Someone from my home state, a place I am proud to call home, drove over 600 miles. That's roughly in Texas driving 10 more hours passing not just one, but tons, lots of Walmarts along I-20 if this person took the fastest route. This long stretch of highway from my home region of the Dallas Metroplex, which is where Allen is, through my second home of Fort Worth, through my college and graduate school hometown of Abilene, they passed Walmart after Walmart after Walmart along the way to target a specific Walmart in a border town of El Paso, which is known and it takes great pride in its hospitality and welcome of immigrant asylum seekers. It is known to be a population of people with brown skin. This person, my fellow Texan, the actions of driving so far to a specific place tells me that this person's intent was to murder Latinx and immigrant people. And I was pained. I am pained. I was angry and I am angry. I did and I do feel helpless to violence, dependent on God to welcome those precious people into the peace of God's eternal presence and rest. And so after walking around and hanging out with Cece for a few minutes, I got in my car and I cried out, why? Why this again, God? Why are we constantly surrounded with anti-immigrant, anti-Latinx rhetoric? Why are migrant children still in cages without toothbrushes when the lights kept on all night? Why do my neighbors jump when they hear a knock on the door, fearing they will be ripped from the place they call home and their family? Why do people feel emboldened to chant, send her back, referring to U.S. citizens and civil servants? Why is it so easy for someone to get their hands on tools of violence and so hard for someone who needs it to get their hands on life-saving medication? Where 
are you, God? I need you. We need you. I am dependent on you in this moment. The world seems out of control, and you are supposed to be the Savior. I have to admit, I didn't sleep much last night. I was awake for a long time praying, and to be honest, rewriting a sermon, (laughs) because it had to reflect the seriousness of what I feel today. And I dragged my tired body from bed this morning, only to learn that 10 more, this time in Dayton, Ohio, died by gun violence, and dozens more were injured by a lone murderer. And so like the psalmist, I found myself screaming again in the shower, a second time, no, not even 14 hours later, Lord, where are you? Lord, hear my prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your righteous, ferocious peace, peace that looks like violence to some, but is hard-fought peace that advocates for the safety and justice for the stranger and the immigrant whom you demand that I regularly welcome. Lord, grant me courage to accept that death and hatred are real. I can't change that, but grant me courage and stamina to refuse to grow compliant. Because the truth is my cries, my grief, my sense of hopelessness in the immediate reminds me of my dependence on God, who is bigger and stronger and more powerful than I am, more powerful than you are, more powerful than we are. We are not alone in the work of grieving, because God does the laborious grieving with us. We are not alone in the work of transforming situations of death into situations of life, because our God began that work of death and resurrection in Jesus and continues that work with and through us to be people of resurrection in times of seemingly death-dealing situations. So thanks be to God is what I also pray, that it is not all up to us, but we believe in a God that ultimately intervenes and redeems a broken world and all these broken systems of violence and oppression and mends our broken hearts because God's kingdom is to come and God will get everything God wants. Thanks be to God that the dependence of our salvation, God's redemption frees us to be courageously independent, making us unafraid to stand up against violence, unafraid to pray our anger to God, unafraid to speak out against hate speech and leaders who do not represent our values and work to make our world free of domestic terrorism and gun violence, free to rush to prevent death. We are dependent on our God who has not given up on us because our God is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? Our light is the stronghold in our lives. Whom shall we be afraid? We are strong. We take heart. We wait for God because we are dependent on God in times of trouble. And that makes us free, courageous, independent people. You are a free and courageous and independent person because you trust and depend on God. Will you pray with me? trustworthy God who provides freedom. We repent of our need to be self-sustaining, self-reliant, individualized. 
These feelings of depending on ourselves are a great self-deception. We realize that we are dependent on you, God. We become, when we are dependent on you, more free, more truly independent. And so we turn this world over to you and trust that you are still at work bringing about peace. We turn ourselves over to you and trust that you are still working towards hope in this world. We turn our church over to you and trust that there is enough love to share in a world that so desperately needs to hear what we have found in you. And so we depend on you. You are our God and we are your people. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.